Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 24th of May 2015, entitled, A Crisis in the Church. And the Bible readings are taken from 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 to 24, and Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. We'll stand to honor the reading of God's holy word as we begin taking our first reading from 1 John chapter 3 beginning in verse 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, Let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, Then have we confidence toward God. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments, do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. He that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Then in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou thou hatest the deeds of of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Father, as we have the wonderful privilege of looking into your word once again this morning, Lord, we stand totally and completely in need Lord, of you and you speaking to our hearts and you giving us that which you would have us to have today. Father, you know our hearts. 
You know that our only desire, Lord, is that the words be spoken that you would have spoken today. Lord, we pray that you would do the work that only you can do in every heart, in every individual here today. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's probably a Sunday that many people like to miss. <laughs> the Sunday before our missions conference begins. I certainly, if you're here, you know that I'm not a preacher that gets up here and pounces on money all the time. <laughs> but at the same time, it's vital and it's important. Matter of fact, it's been brought to my attention a few times recently that because of the fact that it's usually at this time each year that we focus upon this, and it is necessary that we do so, I believe, that, of course, there are those that just don't know because they're not here as we look around this morning. That's always a difficult thing for a pastor that loves all of his people because, to be quite honest with, with, with you, when I sit down and I pray about what God would have us to preach, when I put the time into preparing and, and, and studying and trying to put those thoughts down with the help of God, I never have any idea who will be here, but you know, one message is just as important as another to me. It's the message that God has given us for that day, for that time. And it's difficult because all of God's word is important. But how do we ever get the message to everybody? If people aren't here, I can't preach to them unless they happen to care enough to want to go back and, and listen to it on the, on the website afterwards, but we can't preach to those that aren't here. I've made a comment, and I don't mean it nastily, but sometimes people don't know what they're doing because they can't be bothered to turn up for what they might perceive to be a, a boring AGM. Well, folks, we have our AGM for the church family to come together and to discuss and to know and to hear the reports from all of the different departments so people do know what's going on. Now, there are times when people have legitimate reasons for not being here, but there are many, many times when people could be here and should be here, but they've chosen not to be here. I can't help that. I can't do anything about that. As I was praying earnestly, about how the God would have us to speak today because I believe that it is vital that we understand that when we have our missions conference each year, and I believe that it is an important, vital time for the church. So many times people think, well, I already know all this. <laughs> we already support all of these missionaries. We already give our missions money into the church. I don't need to hear all this again. I can promise you this, I don't know everything and I don't have all the answers, but in my few years of experience that I have, down through the ages, I have never seen a church truly accomplish anything for God in missions that did not care enough to have missionaries through, to have missions reports read as we do here every week to have missions conferences when that focus is there and those missionaries are brought through that you can meet them face-to-face -face and eyeball-to-eyeball and we can be 
challenged afresh from God's Word, it's important for all of us. We asked a question last week, last Sunday morning, because as we began to focus our attention towards these things, we looked last Sunday morning at the question, do missions really matter? And then on Sunday evening, we looked at the thought about who's sending who in this matter of missions. But I want to clarify something last Sunday morning because I began in my introduction. And I've got it written down here if anybody would like to, uh, to see it and read it afterwards. But I said in my introduction last week, I asked a question, do missions really matter? Now, in my first paragraph, I went through a list of the things that we as a church do in support of missions. The money we spend, the tithes we use, the love offerings, the faith promise, the missions reports, the mission board at the back, the mission conference every year. And I said, all the efforts that go into supporting missionaries and keeping them before our church, all of those missionaries. I mentioned the mission trips that we've gone to expense to, to go to in other parts of the world. And then I ask another question. Does it really matter the gospel that's preached over and over from this pulpit, the outreach that we have through the open airs, through the door-to-door, -door, through the nursing homes, all the tracts and the literature and the website, all the efforts that go into evangelizing the lost in our community? Those two paragraphs were summed up. The first one, all the efforts that go into supporting missionaries and keeping them before our church. And the second one, all the efforts that go into evangelizing the lost in our community. And then I ask another question. Is it really worth it? Does this evangelizing and missions at home and abroad really matter that much? I want to clarify some thought that in the statement that I had said that our evangelizing door-to-door, -door, our outreach ministries, our bus ministries, and all these things were part of the missions, but no, the two were totally separate. There were two totally separate paragraphs, and the question was asked about two. You see, it all has the same root. It is all the commission that God gave us to do. Our greatest task before us as a church is to present the gospel and see the lost one to Christ. We have responsibility as a local church in all the ministries that we do, and we, we spend all that money on all these different things, having a building to meet in. I mentioned to you last week, and I thank you for the special offerings that came in. We've got some big expenses on that minibus right now that's still sitting in the garage being repaired this week. Is it worth the expenses? Well, when all those little children were sitting up here before they went into children's church, you ask yourself, is it worth the expense? to get the gospel to those children. Now, that's not our missionary program. That is our church program. <laughs> we are to win them to Christ, whether we're evangelizing here or whether we're sending missionaries out there. God has told us that we have that task before us, and that should be the focus of all that we do. So in my question last week, I wanted you to come down to the fact that the money that we spend in our ministries here as a local church and the monies that we send through our missions program to those outside of our local church ministries, whether they're in this country or other countries, these flags that are around this auditorium that represent the various countries that our missionaries are serving in, is it worth it? 
And I trust and pray that you can answer yes for all those reasons that we looked at last week. Now, it's a tough thing because there's probably been very few times in, in my many years of preaching now that I found it easy to preach, not because of me. You see, one of the great joys is when you come to grasp and understand and really believe God. But when the preacher starts having to preach on giving, that's something that comes very hard to a lot of people. And as I began to look here today, I believe that it is necessary that if we are going to accomplish more for the cause of Christ this year, it is necessary that we make some commitments. It is necessary that we commit ourselves to the Lord and to his work, or it won't happen. All those good intentions will go down the tube. Are we willing to commit? And as I begin to look, because at some point, and it's probably not going to end up being today, because as I started re-preparing an introduction to this message on giving, I really got a whole message to preach as an introduction. But I believe this with all of my heart, that nobody is ever, 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 neither are they going to receive anything to do with giving joyfully, nor are we ever going to truly do what we ought to in those areas until we get this matter right. I believe, and Brother Steve, as you were standing preaching in the Bible study time this morning, for those that weren't here, you missed a blessing. I had no idea what his lesson was going to be on, but they were talking much this morning during that adult Bible study time of crisis that people go through in their lives. <laughs> well, my thought this morning is around a crisis in the church a crisis in the church. Now, I will come back, and I will at some point, whether it's any of it this morning or this evening or after the missions conference, we will look at this matter. But I want us to begin here this morning. We read this passage from 1 John chapter 3. You know, probably all of us could quote here this morning John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so what? For God so loved. For God so loved. God loved this world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a glorious verse. God loved us so much that he was willing to give his only son. And then we find that in our passage that we read from 1 John chapter 3, beginning there in verse 16, notice these words carefully again this morning. Hereby perceive we the love of God. This is the way that we can perceive, that we can see, that we can know the word, the love of God. How do we perceive the love of God? Because he laid down his life for us. John 3, 16 said, For God so loved the world that he did give his only begotten son. 
Here he says, how do we perceive the love of God? Because he, God, laid down his life for us. When Jesus went to that cross, that was God on that cross. In John 3.16, it said that Jesus went to the cross, that God gave his son on that cross. In 1 John 3.16, it says that God himself laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. (laughs) Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for a friend. Greater love. What does true love really cause us to do? He goes on, he makes a pretty strong statement, but whoso hath this world's good, whoso is blessed with whatever that you have in goods and the materials of this world, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion for him, how dwelleth? the love of God in him. If God loved us so much that we see God's love because he was willing to go and die on the cross for us, and yet we say that we love and we're not even willing to give material things for God, how can we dare say that the love of God is in us? That doesn't even make sense. You don't even have to be a Christian to look at those thoughts and see that there's no way. If somebody loves so much that they're willing to be nailed to that cross and die, and yet they're not willing to give somebody something that's in need, how can that be? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I've said before, love, the words are cheap. Anybody could say, I love you. But he says, don't just love in words, love in deed, but showing that love. Love is an action word. We find that he says, don't just say you love, but show it with what you do, with how you live. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. This is how we will know that we are of the truth. This is how we will know. This is how we will assure our hearts before him. Look, if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. But if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. May I say to you, and I hope I can get there, and I'm not sure how far I'm going to get, but boy, God has worked on this preacher's heart. Our biggest problem is a heart problem. God says, hey, okay, let's just get serious here. God loved you so much, he was willing to go and die for you. You ought to be willing to die for your brother. But if that same brother, instead of dying for him, he has a need and you're not willing to give him to help in that need, how dare you say that it's the love of God that dwells in you? Can't be. He says, love with your actions. Love with your life, love with your deed, not with just your words. And here we're going to know. This is how we're going to know that the truth is really in us because it really comes down to the heart. (laughs) This is how (laughs) we'll assure our hearts before him. If our heart condemns, God is greater. 
But if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. <laughs> Truth is, a lot of people don't have the faith to believe, the faith to step out, the faith to give, because they've got a heart problem. <laughs> they don't know that reality of having confidence toward God, of knowing that God will do what he says that he will do, that God is there and God is in control and that God has promised not to forsake us and God has promised, I know, that it goes totally, completely contrary to all the economics of man, but God says the way to receive is to give. The more you give, the more you're going to receive. You don't hoard it up. You don't keep it for yourself. You give it to those that are in need. When that happens, notice what he says, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. This is that commandment. First of all and foremost and above all else, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, <laughs> and love one another as he gave us commandment. He that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. <laughs> How do we perceive and grasp and understand the love of God? Because he proved it by going to the cross and dying for us. He died for us. And he says, we ought to be willing to do that. He says, don't go telling me that the love of God is dwelling in you. When you can see others in need, you can't be bothered to do anything about it. He says, don't just love with your words. Love with your actions. It's a heart condition. <laughs> you see, it's only when your heart is right before God that you're going to be assured in your own heart. It's a heart condition. We've got to grasp this this morning you see, there's only one reason that as we approach this time of focusing upon this matter of missions, there's one reason that I want you to grasp the truths of God's Word about the matter of giving. Yes, as a church, we have needs, but I've got news for you. We're not depending upon you to meet the needs of this church. We're depending upon God. Oh, but I want you to be blessed in the process. <laughs> you see, when your heart's right with God, then and only then will the giving become something that will just come natural. It'll be an action word, not just something that we talk about. But when that love is real in our lives, giving is a natural process of that Today, you don't have to look very far to realize that the church is facing a crisis. Now, there are lots and lots and lots of problems, and churches face problems every day, and they have all through the church age. and They will continue so until the Lord returns. Well, the problems can be varied from church to church just like they are from Christian to Christian. But I'm convinced that most of those problems, if not all of them, are just symptoms 
of a much deeper problem that is actually the crisis in question. I believe that it's that root problem, the real crisis that must be faced if anything is going to change in your life, in my life, in this church's life. You see, that's when we turned over because in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, now when we look at this passage, recognize this. All, both of those chapters are letters to seven different churches. Now those seven churches were real, literal churches, just like we're meeting in here today in those cities that we'll be noticing there. And those letters were going to those churches, so all at that one time in the present tense, we find that all of those churches had these varied and different problems that are addressed in those passages. But not only are they indicative of those churches at that time, they are prophetic of churches of all time. All of those churches, just as it was in that day, they're still in the churches today the church's problems are varied just as they are there. And we can look at those and we can gauge where an individual church is at. But they're also prophetic of the church as a whole, of the church in general, as it has come down through the ages. We find that as we look there today, I want you to keep all of those things in mind because it's important that we recognize. You see, all seven of those churches and the different problems, they really weren't that far apart if you look at them on a map. It wasn't like they're scattered all over the world. They were really pretty close to each other there in Asia. We find that as we look there today, though, I believe that it's that progression that we see that has taken place in the whole big church picture through the ages, but that same progression takes place in churches individually. We read chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. The church at Ephesus. And you see, that's where it begins. And that's where we see the crisis in the church. Now in verses 2 and 3, he went through many, many good things and favorable characteristics in that church. I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. I know how that you can't bear them that are evil. I know that you've tried those that are apostles and are not and has found them liars, those that have claimed to be servants of God, but they're not. I know that you've done that. I know what you've borne. I know your patience. I know that for my name's sake that you've labored and you haven't fainted. These are all grand and good and great things. Nevertheless, he said in verse 4, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. This church, man, I mean, they had a lot of good things going on. They were standing strong. They were standing against evil. They were standing on the wonderful truths. They were doing all of these things right, and yet there was a problem because they had left their first love. How does love make you feel? Most of the time, it doesn't even have to be real love. Even when we think it's love, it makes you feel all giddy, happy, and joyful. You do 
all kind of wonderful, stupid things that you wouldn't do otherwise. Why? Because you're in love. Not only does it make you feel and do those things, (laughs) love is something that, you know, sometimes they say that it covers a multitude of sins. (laughs) Why is that? It's because when you've got true, genuine, giving, caring love, it's not that the sins aren't present, but it's only then that you're really willing to forgive, to overlook. Wish we had time to go read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the great love chapter. Charity, that agape love, that giving love. Without that, nothing else really matters. Love. You know, why is it? Why is it that People give to things. Why these, all these charities? And many of them are wonderful, and they've got all kind of good causes. Why do people give? Usually because they care. They care about those that are in need. Today, it really comes back to a heart condition. You see, they lost their first love. What's the first love? That's that which they love the most. That's the most supreme love. That's the the love that is above all other loves. They left. They, the church, had left their first love. Their first love. The Lord Jesus Christ. That which gave them life. That which brought them into the church. That which put them in the church in the first place. How far will you go for love? You see, if you don't really care, you're not going to go very far. (laughs) If you love, that's what we just got through reading about from the Apostle John. (laughs) God loved you so much, he gave his son for you. God loved you so much that that was actually him and his son dying on that cross. God loved you so much that when his love truly dwells in you, you can't look at the needs of others and not care. Because that's not the character of love. That's not the character of God's love. The crisis in this church is that they had quit loving that which was the most important to them, that which mattered most. They had left their first love. They were still going to the actions of doing all of the things right. They were still preaching and teaching the truth. They were still standing against evil. They were still doing all of these things, but it wasn't coming from the heart. So many times our Christian lives, our church life, all these things can just become a bunch of mechanics, mechanical things that we're going through. (laughs) The problem with this church, (laughs) they were going through all the right things, but not for the right reason. How important was it? If they were doing all these things right, you know, it's not like they were violating the scriptures. It's not like that they were allowing things to go on in their midst. What had happened? They didn't love the Lord like they should, like they one time did. Even though they were still doing all these, what's the consequences of that? Well, he goes on, Brother Stephen. He tells us in verse 5, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Remember. Remember where you were. With the Lord. Can you honestly say today 
as we were talking and singing earlier, that you love the Lord today more than ever in your life. Has there ever been a time that you loved him more? That you were happier to be with him? That you were happier to serve him? That you were happier to share him with others? That you were happier to go before him and, and pray with him and you were happier to be in his word? Have you left your first love, even though you may still love him, does he have the same place of preeminence that he ought to have in your life? He says here, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. And what? What's the next word in your Bible? Repent. Repent. And do the first works. Remember Remember what it was like. Remember where you came from. Turn this thing around. You need to go in the other direction. Repent. Repent of your falling away. Repent and do the first works. Get back to the most important thing. You got all these works that are going on, but repent and do the first works. Turn back to your first love. Or anything else, or else I will come unto thee quickly, that's the Lord Jesus, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. You've left your first love. Don't kid yourself when you know that you don't love him like you ought to. Does he have first place above everything else and everybody else in your life? If not, he's not your first love. That candlestick will be removed. May I say, as far as the church is concerned, that candlestick is removed, you cease to exist. You cease to exist, probably physically altogether, certainly in any influence that you might truly have. There's going to be no more light. <laughs> when the candlestick is removed, literally there, that word could be a, a, a lampstand that he's talked about back already in, in the first chapter, that light. He says, either you repent or I'm going to take that light away. <laughs> it's going to cease to be. Now, <laughs> I'll be quite honest with you folks. I don't think there's any greater crisis that any church can face than to lose their first love and, in essence, lose everything that they are, lose their candlestick. Do you know what happens? This is where it began. Prophetically in time, that was not only a church at that time, which you could find undoubtedly today, but that was the first step of the church in its infancy. You see, what was the result? What happened after they lost their first love? Well, notice what he says next, beginning in verse 8, and unto the angel of the church in Smyrna, write this. These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Who's that? The Lord Jesus Christ. These things is what Jesus says, I know thy works. And tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, 
but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall, be, shall not be hurt of the second death. See, this was really the second stage of the church known as the era of great persecution. Christians were being persecuted. You see, Ephesus was a crisis in church. Smyrna, we find counterfeits in the church. That's what it led to, the crisis, losing, leaving their first love. The next step we see is counterfeits in the church. In this case, it's counterfeit Christians within and persecution from the pagans without. Christ knew their works. He knows all the tribulations. He knew that their, their finances, even though that they were poor, but in actual fact with him, they were rich. God knew all of these things about them. But he also knew, as he said there in verse 9, I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. I know those that are claiming to be what they are not. You see, in fact, what was happening is these counterfeit Christians within that were saying that they were part of the church, when in fact they really weren't, they were aligning themselves with the pagans of that day in order to stamp out Christianity, to stamp out the Christian faith, to stamp out the churches altogether. Counterfeits. After they left their first love, the next step was is that those churches, after leaving their first love, they had a bunch of counterfeits within their bodies. They had those within the bodies that weren't even really Christians. They were joining with the world out there to bring persecution upon the church. You see, there's a crisis in the church. They've left their first love. As a result, there are counterfeits in the church, yes, today. There are those that claim to be what they certainly are not. We find that they needed to remain faithful. He said, church, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer, don't be afraid of what these can do to you. You see, they're claiming to be one, but they're really the synagogue of Satan. They're really the devil's crowd. Yes, the devil's going to cast some of you into prison that you might be tried. You'll have tribulation 10 days, but be thou faithful unto death. <laughs> be thou faithful those counterfeits within, those pagans without, they're going to bring a lot against you. But I'm saying to you, you be faithful to God, even if it comes to costing you your life. Even unto death, you must remain faithful because I'm the one who give you that crown of life. They needed to remain faithful no matter, 
no matter what the cost was, even if it cost the ultimate, they needed to remain faithful. But I want you to notice next, they left their first love. And then there were all these counterfeits within the church, but I want you to know what that led to. We find in verses 12 to 17, the church of Pergamos. We've got a crisis in the church that leads to counterfeits in the church that next leads to compromise in the church. Notice what it says. First of all, he says, and to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, these things saith he that hath the sharp sword with two edges, I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is, thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. They were in a place where Satan's seat was, where Satan's throne was. What does that mean? I think a number of things can be taken from it, but surely it had to do with being in a place where that there was so much satanic activity. You see, the city of Pergamos was a center of many pagan cults, right here where the Christian church was. Athena, Asclepius, which was a mixing of medicine and superstition, sound familiar? Dionysus, Zeus. Matter of fact, it's where the, the throne-shaped altar of Zeus was at, of Caesar worship. The very first city in Asia to build a temple to Caesar later became the actual capital of the cult of Caesar worship. This was all right here in Pergamos. We find that they were right in the midst of all of these religions of Satan, he said, but I have a few things against thee. <laughs> because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. You see, this city was a center of false religion. Sometimes. Sometimes we look around us and sometimes we feel like that we're just being totally closed on because we see so much false religion around us. Some in the name of Christianity, others with many other names. We've seen our, our community around our church change drastically. The vast majority of our neighborhood is now unashamedly to call themselves by other religions. We find that he tells them here that there were actually some of them in the church that were holding to the doctrine of Balaam. Now, remember, remember who Balaam was? He was a literal hireling prophet that had failed in his attempt to curse Israel when he was actually paid by Balak here Balak was the king of Moab. What kind of stumbling block was being cast? Well, they were casting it here, it says, to get them to, what? Well, the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. 
What kind of stumbling block was being cast to get this church, those within the church, to commit fornication and idolatry? Well, I'll tell you what. They were being seduced. They were being seduced to intermarriage with the Moabites. Balak was the king of the Moabites. Them and Balaam put this whole thing together. So the idea was, was to get these, these ladies from Moab to come and to seduce these men within the church so that they would intermarry, so that then uh, it would destroy their Christian faith. This union would bring about spiritual unchastity, and they would begin to be involved in this. But that wasn't all. Notice he said in verse 15, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. <laughs> the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Do you remember? Now, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans was very similar to the doctrines of Balaam. But Nicolaitans, that was those that followed Nicholas. Do you know where Nicholas came from? Wow. Go back and look in Acts chapter 6. He was one of those that was, speak, that was picked out because they were men of honest report, because they were filled with the Holy Spirit to become a deacon in the church. Same one. You see, he had influence. The people saw this, this church leader as somebody grand that they could trust. Matter of fact, <laughs> he had done a good job of pulling the wool over their eyes. And he was just a false believer. He later became completely apostate. And because of his position and because of his influence, he was able to lead many others away. And that's exactly what they're pointing out to this church here there were some of those that were right there that were part of this church because of his position and influence within. He was able to lead them away from the Christ that was the center of all. <laughs> Clement of Alexander described them this way. He said they abandoned themselves to pleasure like goats leading a life of self-indulgence. In other words, they were just like an animal. They gave themselves up to the fact of where it was just whatever made the body happy, whatever felt good to the body, do it. Some of those at Pergamos had compromised themselves and their Christian position in a world of satanic influence and false worship all around them. They began to be seduced. They began to marry into those that were not part of God's family and give themselves over to these sensual temptations of the flesh and do those things that just fed and gratified their flesh. <laughs> They were compromising their Christian faith to satisfy sinful cravings of the flesh. They became idolaters and fornicators. That sound familiar? Note the progression here. The church loses its first love. Jesus Christ no longer has the preeminent position. Then when that happens... There within, there are those counterfeits, 
those that are pretending to be what they're not and saying they are what they're not, and they begin to plot with the world out there destroy that church. And then there are those that begin to compromise with the world. You know, if they hadn't lost their first love, they wouldn't be so in love with the world. <laughs> they wouldn't be able to love those of the world and the things of the world in such a way they lost their first love. Those loves began to be replaced by these other things. You see, idolatry comes when anything begins to mean more to you than God does. And fornication comes when you start finding your pleasure in others rather than the one that you're bound to. You cannot, you cannot have physical fornication without spiritual fornication. That's impossible. If you're a child of God and you're bound to Christ, you can't. You can't. What is his answer here? Repent. Repent or face judgment. Repent or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat in the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone, and the stone a new name written which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. I'm out of time. What I want you to grasp here is that we have a crisis in the church. And that crisis is really from a crisis in our own hearts. The crisis is that Jesus Christ doesn't really have the place of first love. All these others are a consequence of that. That's where it began, when just leaving that first love. Then it became easier for the counterfeits to infiltrate. Then the compromise became easier, and those, that love that had been left was being replaced by love for other things. And we're going to find that as we look through the rest of these churches, where this leads to, folks, I want us to grasp this morning, my emphasis this morning is that the greatest crisis the church can face is when Jesus Christ loses his place in our lives and in the church. And I'm convinced of this, though I will unashamedly be preaching to you sometime in these next week or two on this matter of giving, not to me, but giving to the Lord and giving for the cause of Christ around the world. But I want to share this with you, that it will never, ever, 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 we'll never get right on that until we're right on this first. It's got to begin in our hearts. It's got to begin with Jesus Christ being on the throne and having the rightful place. When we truly love him supremely and above all, he loved you today. If you're here today, and if you've never met this one called Jesus, may I say to you, that's the only reason I live and breathe. That's the only reason these other Christians are here. It's the only purpose that we have in life because without Jesus Christ, you have no life. There is no life without him. Today, Jesus, you can see the love of God. God showed it to you when he stretched himself out on that old rugged cross. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
He doesn't want you to have to pay your sin debt. There is no other debt. There is no other way that sin can ultimately end in anything except death. But he wants to give you life. He took that death for you. You'll accept it. That's our ultimate goal. That's where that first love must begin, when you realize how much he loved you and you love him. Church, I want us to be everything God wants us to be. I want you to be the happiest creature that you can ever be in your life. Man, love makes you happy. <laughs> love makes you joyful. Love makes you feel like nothing else. Will you know, Christianity is not about feelings, but it sure feels good. <laughs> love will make you do the things you would not do otherwise. Well, today, I want you to realize God loved us so much he gave the ultimate for you. And right here today, you can receive that gift from him, if you will. Today, Christians, our love, as we look around and see the needs of this world, how dare we say the love of God dwells in us if we don't care. I want you to grasp I don't want you to mean, I don't mean this in a selfish way for you. I want you to grasp how you can honestly have more in this world, be more satisfied, be more joyful, have your needs met better than any other way possible when Jesus Christ has his rightful place in your heart. Father, Lord, I know that I know how that you've dealt with this preacher's heart trying to put these thoughts down. I realize today, Lord, I, I thank you as we, Lord, will be beginning our missions conference here at Bethel this week. I thank you for the missionaries that will be coming to share with us. But, Lord, I thank you today, Lord, that if anything these missionaries say is going to mean anything to us, if we're earnestly going to get on our face before you and seek to know what you want to do through us for this cause of missions, it's got to begin in our heart. The greatest crisis of the church is because Jesus Christ doesn't have his rightful place in our hearts, that place of first love. Oh, help us, Lord. Help us individually. Help us as a church, we give you all the praise and thanks for it. In Christ's name, amen.